This is Daniel King, and you're listening to George Fox Talks Wellness. What's going on, George Fox family? It's good to see everybody, hear from everybody. Hey, today I'm so excited about um, the topic we're going to discuss. I got two very, very special guests with me, and they're actually my colleagues here at George Fox University. We got Dr. Amber Nelson whoop, whoop. and Dr. Danny Rodriguez. Hey. So today what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually have them maybe share a little bit about their professional um, journey. So I'll start with Dr. Amber Nelson. Yeah. Hey, y'all. Um, thank you so much for just hosting this, having this conversation, mm-hmm. um, and asking Dr. Danny and I to be here. We're both really excited to just sit down. We love talking to you. So this is just a great opportunity. Yeah. So um, yeah, just to introduce myself, my name is Dr. Amber Nelson, Doc Nelson, Doc. Oops, I hit the mic. Sorry about that. Um And I actually, so my journey has been um, a a long time coming, I think, Um, but I actually did all of my education undergrad, um, uh, my master's and my doctorate here at George Fox. I always say that blue and gold runs through my veins. (laughs) You can still see me, I think, in some, you know, advertisements and in the background of photos. (laughs) Okay, I'll look for (laughs) it. You have to look for it, you have to look for it. But yeah, yeah, I I did 12 years and five degrees here um, and just incredibly blessed to now be back Mm. um, re-contributing to this um, community. But um, I'm trained as a pediatric psychologist And I did my um, post or my doctoral internship um, with Harvard Medical School and Boston Children's Hospital, um, specializing in pediatric psychology, working mm. with children, adolescents, young adults mm. with acute and chronic medical conditions. Wow. And then I went on and did my postdoc, and I actually did a two-year postdoc, which was elected by me. I only had to be one, but I was like, "There's so much more I could do here." <laughs> Just another, t- <laughs> Just another, another year, you know. Right, right. <laughs> so I did a two-year postdoc um, with Johns Hopkins. Um, medical um, school, or school of medical uh, um, of medicine, and um, with Kennedy Krieger Institute in Baltimore, Maryland, okay. and I continued doing pediatric psychology. But then I um, did some emphases in cystic fibrosis and sickle cell disease. I'm really emphasizing wow. kind of. Um, health disparities and two chronic illnesses that yeah. have very different populations that they hit. So yeah. um, that's where I did my training. And then I stayed on there as staff psychology before mm. I came out here and started as faculty. Wow. Yeah. So you came back. I came back. Yeah. So you yeah. really do bleed blue and gold. <laughs> I do bleed blue and gold. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah 100%. Yep. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, How about yeah. you, Dr. Danny Rodriguez? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Dan, for, for inviting us both on, on the podcast. Uh, Doc and I work really closely together and getting to do this podcast together is just a really exciting thing. Yeah. Um, and then plus, love you. You're awesome. So yeah, appreciate that. Um yeah, so I am um, Dr. Danny Rodriguez. My uh, students, a lot of my students and a lot of my uh, my patients call me Dr. Danny. Um, 
So I also uh, have spent a lot of time around Newburgh. Um, I'm an alum of both undergrad side and uh, graduate school as well. Wow. So uh, Doc has got me beat as far as the 12 years. Um, yeah. I only did about nine, but, um, but uh, we're vets. We're, 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 we're both, George Fox both vets. George Fox vets. Um, wow. So um, I'm trained as an integrated care psychologist, uh, more kind of full, full lifespan. Um, I, uh, during graduate school, um, I had, um, rotations in, in Providence, uh, Newburgh, which mm. is where we first met as you, right. as you know, um, and, uh, was there for two years. Um, then also working in community mental health, uh, while I was here in Newburgh in graduate training. And then, uh, for my doctoral internship, I was placed at, uh, Iola Lahui Rural Hawaii Behavioral Health, mm. um, which is a nonprofit, um, nonprofit integrated care training program, um, geared towards, training psychologists to work with um, underrepresented marginalized peoples, particularly the native Hawaiian population of, of the Hawaiian islands. Mm. Um, so I was there for internship. Um, my placement was um, on the windward side of Oahu in a federally qualified health center, Waimanalo Health Center. Mm. Um, it's kind of an all-in-one um, one-stop shop for uh, for medical care, which included um, primary care. Um, we had psychiatric providers. We had behavioral health, uh, dentistry, optometry, kind of all in one um, for for a really underserved part of the island. Um, then my my postdoctoral year, I also stayed on with Iola, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I was placed on uh, on the island of Lanai, which is uh, the smallest populated island in the Hawaiian chain. Yeah. Um, about between two to three thousand people on island. Um, mm-hmm. Fun fact: there's literally more uh, deer on island than there are people. So <laughs> yeah, so wow. it was kind of wild. Um, but I was I was placed at a, at another federally qualified health center over there mm. um the community health center um as uh one of the few behavioral health providers on island really mm. um serving serving the community over there so mm. um it's very similar to 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 doc nelson but just kind of working in underserved um very rural areas for for mm-hmm. populations that really needed um as much care as possible but also very unique settings in in uh again in Waimanalo where there's there's a whole bunch of history about like, the, the the Hawaiian sovereignty movement for example is often based there and then Lanai um is 97% privately owned by mm-hmm. um by billionaire owner and and right. there's still kind of the remnants of that so um mm-hmm. got to see some some very very unique um, settings and very unique experiences that not a lot, I like to think not a lot of uh, healthcare providers in general get to have, but that really fueled my, my passion for serving um, populations. Well, thank you so much for both of you for sharing Mm -hmm. a little bit about your training. Uh, One of the things I I did is I did ask Dr. Nelson and Dr. Rodriguez to actually share a, a bit about their professional journey. And I think that's super important because there's something about, um, the two of them, that I think it makes them really um, excellent clinicians. Mm. And I think one of those things that, um, and I'm, I know students listen to this podcast, it's like where you train is really important and where you serve is very important. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it really fits your identity of who you are mm-hmm. as just people. Mm-hmm. And again, today's topic is gonna be on diversity mm-hmm. and, and in healthcare because yeah. that's kind of our lane, but we're gonna start off kind of just just general. Yeah. So let's just be real, all right? <laughs> all right? So tell me like who you are, like in meaning like in your culture and nationality, right? Like, yeah. come on. Yeah. 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 
for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I identify, I am a cishet um, black woman um, and I, I am ethnically biracial. I'm half black and half Italian, but I identify as black mm. um, and specifically black and not African-American. Okay. And um, for me, um, not that I don't identify with the larger African-American culture, however, for me, as as Black culture here in the U.S., mm. has a distinct um, difference and experiential difference in history than those who are connected to their African roots. Mm. Um, and many Black folks who came over here through colonization and enslavement have were cut off from our African ancestry. Yeah. Um, and I don't have that mm. cultural influence from Africa as much as I wish I did. Right, right. I went through all types of times in my life where I was like, I'm I'm gonna just identify with my that African side, but right. I didn't know what that was. So it was just all of Africa, right? Right, right? And so there is this distinct difference for those who immigrated here, first, second, third generation that are still culturally tied to their African roots yeah. than those who came here not through our own accord and mm. had a different um way of developing our culture. We had to create our own yeah. that had influences from all of Africa, but was not, a, hadn't, didn't have a singular identity. Yeah. Um, and so, and I, even though I'm, I'm biracial and it, being Italian is a huge part of my identity yeah. and how I understand the world and how I interact. Yep. I talk with my hands. I've already hit the mic once, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Just being one piece, right? Right. But I, I engage the world as an Afri as a black woman, mm -hmm. right? And the world sees me and interacts with me as a black woman. Mm -hmm. And so it's, I'm very proud of that. And yeah. I'm proud about um, how, how I hold that. And it's important. It's protective and important for me to also understand yeah. that despite being mm -hmm. biracial, just as much white or Italian as I am black, mm -hmm. that the world sees me and interacts with me as a black woman. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. 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 How about you, Dr. Rodriguez? Yeah. Andy. Yeah. Um, so I identify as uh, cishet Latino um, male. I uh, so my Latino background. I am half Mexican and half Salvadorian. Okay. Um, so my uh, my dad's side um, are from base mainly based out of Oaxaca, Mexico, um, and and Southern California. Uh, my mother's side um, mainly from uh, San Salvador and El Salvador. Um, but uh, I am a first generation college student um, and so identify really strongly with um, with all those aspects of my identity. Um, and then and then uh, I, racial um, identity has always been something that's unique for me because uh, looking at me, I'm often white passing in a lot of circles mm -hmm. um, and uh, and in others, people can can tell pretty quickly that um, that uh, that I'm not fully white or I'm mixed at least. Um, and, and that depends on, on the setting, but, um, and I could go into a whole bunch of that about racial identity and, and yeah. something I talk about with our students a lot. Um, but, uh, but as far as my culture, like, um, my Mexican Salvadoran heritage and, and just being Latino, um, Latin American is, is something that I hold very closely. Um, and then, uh, again, just, just really ties into my passion for serving the, the Latin American, uh, community, right in Yamhill County, but then also just 
just Splatter. underserved people in general. Yeah. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, just actually, not to cut you off, but one other thing I think that Dr. Yeah. Danny and yeah. I both have in common, culturally speaking, is also um, we both grew up here mm-hmm. in Oregon and mm. in yep. spaces where we were the only person of color. Yep. Um, and so I grew up in Southern Oregon in Klamath Falls, yeah. Oregon. Yeah. So I affectionately call it deep South Oregon, meaning that it's the, it's the last city right before the border. Yeah. Um, and it's a very rural community. Mm. Um, and I was one of, if not the only person of any color in my entire school until my brother came, you Mm. know? Mm. Um, And so there was also this, this sense of, you know, uh, the culture being a part of a rural community. So that being Mm. part of my background, which people don't assume when they look at me Mm -hmm. um, that I understand and know that some of those struggles. And again, talk about an underserved and, and and under-resourced area as well, but also what it means to be the single representation of, of an entire group of people yeah. absolutely yeah yeah. You, yeah that's that's a great point i grew up in corbett oregon um so corbett high school like cardinals um i always say it makes no sense to me because cardinals are not native <laughs> to that part of oregon uh, <laughs> they're pretty uh, bird yeah they're, not, they're <laughs> nice looking yeah. looking bird yeah. Yeah. yeah there's a baseball team named yeah yeah not in oregon <laughs> right right yeah. right um but yeah very similar in into doc's story in that in that regard um very small rural high school. Um, I was the only um, only Latino student in my high school mm. um, until my sophomore year when my sister moved up from middle school to high school. Then the population doubled um, from one to two. <laughs> um, I do my claim. To, my claim to fame at, at Corbett is that I was the first uh, student to pass the AP Spanish test. Um, <laughs> I didn't as take, a native Spanish as speaker. A native <laughs> Spanish speaker. Um, I, I didn't take the AP Spanish class because uh, they, they didn't offer one. They're like, well, you know, let's just see if you'll pass the test. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah. uh, then we can say we've had a student pass the test. And so, yeah. so there's that. Yeah. So I'm going to throw you a couple of things. But sure. uh, I have we have to talk about this because yeah. to me it's so, it's so interesting beyond just diversity. I'm going to talk about identity for a minute. Yeah. Right. And so how did you find your professional identity? Mm. I mean, you're in these two rural areas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a little different than everybody else that you shared with culturally, yeah. right? No. And nationality wise, yeah. right? Yeah. And I totally get that. I mean, my story is very similar. <laughs> but again, I want to ask you, like, how did you find your professional identity? Did you go through many different kinds of mm. identity? I want to say crises, but like, who am I? Yeah. Right. Yeah. As you're kind of going through that, because I think it fits really well yeah. with understanding why it's important to understand diversity. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Danny yeah. just talked about it mm-hmm. from what he was sharing with us. Right. right. And right. same with you being maybe the only um, black wo- um, gal and mm-hmm. or woman. Right. Mm-hmm. In her area. Yeah. And so, like, yeah. how did you find your identity and why is diversity so important to you? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm still still working on it. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's still my professional identity is still an ongoing process. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. with that, though, um, I think as to 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 be able to get to where I am now, it was um, admittedly early on. It was about blending in, about yeah. about acculturating and survival, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I, I mean, I would routinely hear things from their students like, "Did you ride your donkey into school today?" Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, 
I would just kind of laugh it off because I'm like, what am I going to say? I don't really have like no one to back me up if I, right. if I say anything else and I just yeah. kind of want to blend in. Um, and so, so uh, as hard as that is for, like to, to think about at the time, like it, it was really like navigating two worlds because at home we, we identified really strongly with our, with our Latino culture. But then at school it was all, it was all, uh, you know, white majority spaces. Um, and then that continued into got a little bit better in college, but I mean, Newburgh's not, not necessarily the most diverse um, place in the world either. Right. Um, so having to like, but I had a little <laughs> bit more, more, um, more space to, to find um, myself as a as like as a young man and growing into um, coming into college and then I think it was really in graduate school where I started to wrestle with um, like okay I want to embrace all aspects of myself and bring that into mm. um, bring that into my my just my being but also my my clinical work um, and be authentic with myself mm. um, and I think that that really uh, that part in particular really helped me connect with my clients on internship and postdoc with, with my Hawaiian clients, because they, they recognize that like, yeah, I'm not Hawaiian. I'm, I'm from the mainland, but um, the fact that I had my own culture that I was proud of, that I was engaged with and had, and um, allowed me to, to respect their culture mm-hmm. and their background. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just clicked and allowed me to connect on a level that, um, that some of my colleagues couldn't. Um, and, and, and I think that that, that congruence, that uh, that integration of parts of myself, is kind of what I what I continually try to bring um, into my professional presence. Yeah, mm-hmm. thank you so much, man. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. That's good. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. yeah, I think <clears throat> similar. I think that my identity across the spectrum, be it my spiritual and religious identity, my identity as a woman, my identity as a professional, my ethnic really, ethnic and racial identity continues to evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, the more context that I experience, mm-hmm. um, I start to understand myself differently and understand myself more fully. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that um, when I was in high school, when I was growing up, similar, I think that I, you know, I, it was about assimilating in a lot of ways or trying to make myself small Mm. to not draw attention to Mm. my difference because it was clear that I was different. And there's a, there's a really large Dutch population in the area. And so I went to a really small private Christian school Mm. and most of my peers were these tall, athletic, blonde hair, blue eye, Mm. (laughs) white kids. Mm -hmm. And then there was me who was fat, black and loud. Like, Mm. Mm. and it just was, I was so trying to find these ways to try and make my like not necessarily draw attention to myself or if I was it was because I was doing everything and Mm -hmm. I was Mm overperforming and trying to do these things Um, and that was how I understood myself it was like if I'm going to do this then I have to be the best and I have Mm -hmm. to do all of the things and I have to do all of the things Mm -hmm. the best Um, and when I was growing up I had wanted to be a medical uh, doctor. I wanted to be mm. a, a physician. Mm. Um, and even in that, I wanted to be triple board certified as a <laughs> pediatrician, a family doc mm. and a pediatric psychiatrist because, you know, so I had all of these like dreams, like this is what I'm doing. Mm. Um, and then I came here to Fox and, um, and again, you know, uh, this area and Fox, especially back in the olden times in the early two thousands, when I first yeah. came here, yeah. um, you know, we have grown a lot as a, mm-hmm. as a campus in our student body. Um, and it was not as diverse as it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
I know this number is inaccurate, but the way I remember it was five black students. I know that there were probably more than that, but yeah. the touch point of how many people I would see. Right. Yeah, it's probably seven. Yeah, exactly. Um, plus or minus two. Um, that's how it felt. But given my current, my previous experience, mm -hmm. that was way more than I was used to. So I was like, oh my gosh, look at this. There's like yeah. other people. Yep. Um, and I was still very determined on um, becoming a medical doctor. And um, for lots of reasons, I had mentors who really loved me and mm -hmm. saw something different in mm -hmm. me and tried to give me that feedback. And um, and yet I had a really hard time accepting that. Yep. One, because I felt like, who do you think you are mm -hmm. to tell me? And where is this coming from? Mm -hmm. Why do you? Why are you having this conversation with me mm -hmm. and not my peer who's struggling just as much as I am in mm -hmm. this class? Um, and why aren't you having that conversation with them? And so I think it took a really long time, and it wasn't until I finished my education that I was able to now go back and look and see, like, okay, they were seeing me differently than I was understanding myself, mm -hmm. and I can now see that they were trying to say, like, maybe there's something something else that's better suited for you. Um, but I was very determined and I was like, you're not going to move me or sway me in this. Um, and then I got waitlisted for med school and um, I decided to get my master's in counseling. Hmm. And while I was there, right, I was like, <laughs> you know, do something while I'm waiting, right? <laughs> so I went and got my master's in counseling. And part of it was like, if I wanted to be a physician, I felt like I wanted to know how do I come alongside my patients well mm -hmm. and not just treat them as a patient mm -hmm. and their symptoms, a set of symptoms, but come alongside them as, as a whole person and understand them contextually. And I thought maybe counseling will help me understand that. Mm -hmm. Um, and while I was in the master's in counseling program, I came across my mentor, um, Keith Dempsey, um, black man and was the, the, the department chair at the time. Yeah. And I told him my plan and he was like, all right, well, we'll see what God does with that. Amen. Amen. <laughs> was, we'll see what God does with that. And he really was somebody that helped me was, he was the first person of color that I had mm. in my education. Mm. And at that point I had been that that was my seventh year at Fox or sixth year at Fox. Mm. And then, and of course, all of my um, previous education, that was the first person I had that even remotely looked like me. Mm. And I started to be able to understand my future, the possibilities of what it means to be a professional, mm. um, my own capacity, what I had, what I had, my experience and my voice was meaningful. Yeah. I didn't have to make myself small, but mm -hmm. that those experiences were helpful to other people yeah. and that we needed, I needed to speak into that. Yeah. Um, and that was a huge turning point um, for me when I started to really be able to see how being biracial, being black, being from this area were not things that needed to be to hide or to try and avoid, but to amplify because mm -hmm. it was a, a, an opportunity to amplify other people's experiences and voices. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think that you two bring up such a good point about why it's important to be um, diverse or understand that because I think the word that popped up for me was about being small. Yeah. Right. And I think a lot about our patients. Yeah who are from different um, races or different or going through lots of different changes in their lives, yeah. um, maybe identity in many different ways. And they feel very small, yeah. right? And not seen, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's kind of was my story on yeah. how I got into 
physical therapy or even just wanting to be in the healthcare field mm-hmm. because I saw that happening a lot. Yeah. And I wanted to, um, it wasn't even help. I just wanted to see them and yeah. say, hey, I see you. Right. Right. It wasn't like a hero complex. Like everybody thinks like, you know, we're trying to be heroes. Like, no, it's like no. we identify and say we're here. Right. We see you and we see you for who you are. But Absolutely. have you ever seen this when we're working in the healthcare system? Like people say things like, well, I just think that they should just conform. Yeah. Why don't they just learn mm-hmm. the language? Right. Right. And, yeah. and and it's like we've all maybe we've all heard it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. But what do you think when someone says that as you know, just sharing with our story about, Mm -hmm. you know, what it looks like to not be seen, especially when you're not feeling well, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. maybe you don't have the same um, resources as a lot of people. Right. Yeah. What do you think about that when you hear that in our healthcare uh, profession? Yeah. As you bring that up, that just brings up so much. There's so much loaded in that. Why don't they just dot, dot, dot? Yeah. Why don't you just learn the language? Why don't you just do this, do that. Um, that's an inherently prejudicial yeah, statement absolutely. because that's saying there's something about you as you are that's not acceptable in this right. situation. Right. Like you, I cannot, or I will not mm-hmm. help you as you are or where you are. Mm-hmm. I will not make that extra step to, to, to meet you mm-hmm. where you're at. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah, I, I I would venture to guess that all three of us have heard that yeah. in different places, different settings, yeah. in clinics. Um, but even even with things like like uh, translating documents or finding yes. translators for yeah. for someone who who is not a native English speaker, um, even that is while in still an imperfect way of communication is taking that extra step to meet our patients where they are yeah. and which, which is our duty as mm-hmm. healthcare providers. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we are signing up for this job where we are to help others and we are to provide services, provide care. Like you like you said, like people are not feeling well, I'm hurting. Yeah. I'm signing up to help you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You should, I should be the one to go to you yeah. Um, not you having to take three, four, five extra steps to right. come to me, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, and so I see like when when we see we see things like this all the time in different systems, um, mm-hmm. and so I think that's why it, it's so important for uh, for us as providers who who have some of these stories, and even for the, for for our, our providers that can that can ally with us in that um is to break down those barriers absolutely. break down those barriers and advocate for the people that cannot speak up for themselves yeah absolutely yeah, yeah i i 100 agree i think when i hear those things i just like it, it hurts it physically mm-hmm. hurts when i hear that mm-hmm. because exactly where we are are saying that my my time, mm-hmm. um, my perspective, and the way in which I in, encounter the world or move through the world is how everybody needs to. Mm-hmm. And if you can't do that, then come to me when you can. Um, and uh, I think it's particularly in the healthcare system, you know, we have signed up to, to be helpers. Um, we have signed up to meet people where they're at. Mm. And it is our job, it is our duty to to do 
our due diligence to meet them and not put that burden on them. And that's what continues to cause the divide Mm -hmm. in access Mm -hmm. and care and even people's comfort in coming into Mm -hmm. a doctor's office in the first place. Mm -hmm. If they feel like they're going to be dismissed, they're not going to be, they're going to be either over or under treated, over pathologized Mm -hmm. or under treated. Um, They're going to be stigmatized. They're going to have all of these things. Why go into the doctor? Mm -hmm. Why go there? And it's those comments, even when you think it's an offhanded thing or I think it doesn't mean anything, words are so Mm -hmm. impactful. Mm -hmm. And as psychologists, we know this, like our our medicine is words, Mm -hmm. right? And we, those comments can deter somebody from coming into the doctor for the next decade of their life that then set up these generational patterns in their families to not trust the medical system. And so we have to do, we have to find Mm -hmm. those ways to like talk about how we talk to patients, what we, how we think about patients, how we think about those things and how we think about them contextually um, as we're treating them, because it's not just the symptoms. We have to understand them as a whole. Yeah, and I think you're kind of helping <laughs> helping us and helping maybe the people who are listening and watching. How do we meet? You know, what are some of the things that you can think about in your training, in your research, right? I mean, we're all in this together. Right. Like, how do we get to that point, right? Mm-hmm. And again, in no way am I trying to um, go, go away from the original topic, which is right. diversity. Right. But mm-hmm. I think you know, we, we can go into maybe some solutions or ideas, right? Sure. But beyond that, I mean, even in, in, with our research, right? And yeah. in our training, like, right. what are some of the solutions do you think that are out there to meet people where they're at instead of just using that? We don't want to break the paradigm, right? right, right. It's, just, it's already broken, right? Medical right. is already hard to deal with, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> We're just going to do status quo, yeah. right? Yeah. Or we'll just hire somebody or yeah. we'll do something, right? Yeah, right. How, what would you say are some of the solutions that you think that might be helpful as we move forward, mm-hmm. right, in including everyone, especially in yeah. the healthcare um, field, just right. because that's kind of where we're, we are at and we spend most of our time yeah. at, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think my brain goes to so many different places. Um, and I think that one, there's a there's an underlying, yes, this is bias um, underlying all of this. There's also this um, complicating factor of capitalism yep. underneath it, that yeah. medical systems have RVUs and they have like, how many patients can you get through? How, how quickly can you turn people around? And as soon as that starts to then cut in to your ability to be quote unquote efficient. Mm-hmm. So if it's going to take me 30 minutes to go find a translator, um, mm-hmm. then that's two patients that I could have seen. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there are so many underlying things that really play in, to it that make it really difficult. Right. Um, but I think that first and foremost, I mean, I always come back to education um, because we see what's being pulled out. Mm-hmm. We see how it's being operationalized and the health disparities as a, as a result of it. But in order to really change the system, which is what needs to happen, disentangling some of these capitalistic underpinnings and finding a better structure for our medical system. But before we get there, we have to go back to our education. We have to go back to understanding that some of the reasons that we have health disparities Mm. comes from underlying biases Mm -hmm. that are 
operationalize and how we treat our patients, Mm -hmm. whether we think they are or not, whether that's our intention or not. You know, there's there are a couple studies of looking at um, some really bad (laughs) um, um, colloquial understandings of black people. Mm -hmm. And they did this research about two years ago, um, like, for instance, one example is that black people have a higher pay tolerance and thicker skin. Mm. And they surveyed folks, 73% of lay people, so non-medical people, believe two or more of these um, false statements. Mm -hmm. The more concerning thing was that 50% of medical students in 2019 believed one or more of those statements. So Mm. if those things that were rooted Mm. in white supremacy Mm. and are are still cropping up Mm. in our students who are being trained to do this work, Mm. we have a massive problem, right? And we even have, there've been even recent studies that have controlled for like views. Mm. So they've looked at like how, um, if somebody has positive racial values and views, does that change how they treat their patients? Mm. And when they controlled for even positive racial values, they, the difference in how a white person, what treatment a white person gets versus a BIPOC person, the bias still remained. Mm-hmm. And so the place in which we can start is start to systematically target these underlying beliefs that people have consumed without mm-hmm. even knowing, have mm-hmm. built into their awareness without even, mm-hmm. and how they understand people and how they conceptualize pain. Or if somebody looks like this, then that's what pain is. That's mm-hmm. not pain. Or mm-hmm. this is whatever. Mm-hmm. We have to we have to systematically disentangle some mm-hmm. of these, these built-in understandings that people have mm-hmm. that are false. Mm-hmm. And we start there, then we can start to see the cracks in our medical system, the cracks in the ways mm-hmm. in which um, things are operationalized mm-hmm. in the the office, in the medical field, in our work with patients. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think I've read the same study. And the mm-hmm. interesting thing, too, is the fact that they just sent out another research showing funding for anything that's um, towards equity and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. diversity. And mm-hmm. it's like, I don't know, I think it was less than 5%. I mean, right. it was something right. really small. Right. I mean, I can't pull it off the top of my head, but right. I'm pretty close. It's I think it was two, maybe even less than 2%, right? right? Mm-hmm. And that goes back to why it's so important to do these studies. Right. Yeah. Right? right? Because it starts with so much of that. It starts with mm-hmm. what is it that we're investigating? Right. 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 What are we spending 100%. time in trying to figure out? Right. You know, what does education look like? Right. Instead right. of focusing on, you know, these other things. Right? right. And I totally agree. I don't think that the lens is on that mm-hmm. in a scholarship or research way. And the right. funding definitely is not there. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And absolutely. we, we know these things and it's not just affecting, um, it's not just affecting the way it's being treated, but it's like bleeding through all of our culture. And Absolutely. I think that's one yep. of the things why people are confused, right? Yeah. right? yeah. Like where are all these other things that are happening in our in our in our culture? Right. 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 And I'm sure you get that while teaching students. Right. Right. Absolutely. And just overall. So, yeah. you know, I'm gonna just kinda of throw it back to you, yeah. Danny. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I uh I agree with everything that's been said and I think that that with the education is, is incredibly important. And one of the things that, um, what just one additional thought that I had was when I was working in integrated care. Um, yeah. For the providers who were 
like who would be out of their training, out of their residencies and, and seeing patients, making sure that they were aware of of the current literature and of yeah. also the his, the the historical pieces 100%. of the medical yeah. system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, knowing that to be able to understand that, um, okay, well, it's not it's not that my oh my my quote unquote diverse patients tend to have a harder time adhering to their treatment plan mm-hmm. right um it's it's a why why is that well there's actually some some right. pretty intense reasons historical right. reasons why um some communities just have an inherent distrust of the yeah. medical system you think back to like i we, we talked about um a brief didactic on like the the tuskegee syphilis study mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and it was I, I wish i had taken a a poll of, of how many uh providers had heard of it but it was shocking to me how many how many providers medical providers um physicians or not have not heard of of tuskegee um which for for our listeners for our listeners who don't know um was a study started it was a 40-year study Mm -hmm. uh, between the 30s and the 70s um where uh 400 um black men were identified who had active syphilis um, and they were told that they were going to be given a treatment, but they were their their diagnosis of syphilis was never disclosed to them. Um, And so they were they were followed all these years and had some devastating ramifications, of course, because they let the disease go untreated. Mm -hmm. Um, It was spread to to partners and family members. and resulted in deaths and and uh and now we look back at that and we're like why how, how was that ever allowed to to be okay to right. to how how was that ever a thing in healthcare and physicians right. like uh, deceiving their deceiving people like this mm-hmm. um but then that's not in that isolated event we right. we see like Unfortunately, in the United States, forced sterilizations have, right. have been a huge uh, history right. uh, marker, like becoming out of out of like the false research in eugenics. And, and mm-hmm. um, my uh, I, I, I have a family member who was personally affected by a forced mm-hmm. sterilization mm-hmm. Um, or unwitting un, unwittingly part of it because mm-hmm. uh, like <laughs> the documents that she was told to sign yeah. um were not translated into spanish yeah. so mm. she didn't realize what she was agreeing to right. and when when they came to um they they had had an involuntary hysterectomy yeah. um and uh so yeah. these things are these things happen yes. have happened and they're much more recent than i think yeah. than, than we than we realize um and so many again so many providers don't don't they, 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 if they know it, it's hard for them to connect the dots. I mean, yeah, like that, that, that those are still having lasting impacts on our patients absolutely. and, and our populations today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so like, and, and I think that's where, uh, again, that, that we kind of come in with like, so this, this happened. We, yeah. we're, and we're learning more and more about, about not only individual trauma, but generational trauma and, and how, um, how, not only psychologically but physiologically yeah, mm-hmm. has lasting impacts mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um and and so i think that that's that is another area where it's important for us to to educate and to Absolutely. to bring alongside to walk alongside Absolutely. um and to make sure that we are that we are as um aware as possible of what our population of what our patient populations need Absolutely. yeah you know i know yeah. all three of us are all components of this but i think one other piece we have to talk about for education is interprofessional education. Absolutely. And I think one of the things why it makes us so excited is the fact that interprofessional education, of those who don't understand it, it means that when more than uh, two groups of um, 
professions get together and um, study or treat a patient, that that's collaborative, right. that it's not just siloed, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm a physical mm-hmm. therapist, I just do my own treatment. Right. But yeah. if a psychologist and a PT get together, that would be interprofessional mm-hmm. um, collaboration mm-hmm. or interprofessional education. In our case here at George Fox, which we are building this robust education component for our undergrad, but also for our graduate program, because we know that this is one of the ways that yeah. we can educate our patients, right. I mean, and educate our students, I should yeah. say, to make sure that we get it out because yeah. it's a lean vehicle. Right. And it's right. not right. based on tr- just tradition, right? Right. It's actually yeah. breaking silos. Yeah. Yep. And that's yeah. what I think why we're so excited about it and that the focus should be on the person right. that we're Absolutely. meeting, right? And that's yes. really why interprofessional education is so important. Yep. That is not about so much the process, but it's about the safety, but also understanding the patient. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm so um, such an advocate, mm-hmm. yeah. right, for IPE. And maybe you guys can speak about that because I know, yeah. you know, you guys are a component and yeah. I'm going to talk more about it as yeah. the future mm-hmm. goes of yeah. GFU Talks and as my role expands. But, I mean, is that important to you, right? And have you yeah. seen that also at Hopkins oh, yeah. and yeah. Harvard or in Hawaii, like yeah. this understanding of like, you know, uh, breaking the silo, mm-hmm. right? Yes. But doing yeah. it together, yeah. not just psychologists alone, yes. yeah. not physical therapists alone, physicians yeah. alone, right? Yeah. But doing it together. So, absolutely. Yeah. I think interprofessional um, approach to care is, man, I mean, it's just like three heads are better than one, yeah. right? Yep. Like, just even in this conversation, if we're talking about a solution, we can all have, we all have different lenses, right? And And I think that, that's how I think about just like DEI on the whole, if we bring mm-hmm. it back to like diversity education, um, mm-hmm. uh, diversity, equity and inclusion is that historically has been this perspective of like one perspective mm-hmm. um, as at the head of the table and leads the ways in which we all have to now do it. Right. And kind of decentering that perspective and saying that is a perspective and not to say that it needs to go away, mm-hmm. but it is one of many. Now let's bring all of those other perspectives to the table mm-hmm. so that we can actually understand right. whatever it is that we're looking at or whoever we're dealing with from a variety of angles and from a variety of perspectives mm-hmm. and experiences. And that's what, you know, interprofessional care really is, mm-hmm. is saying like, I can bring my expertise and knowledge from a psychological perspective mm-hmm. Also, my own lived experience as a mm-hmm. woman of color here in this mm-hmm. area, mm-hmm. you get to bring your knowledge and expertise as a, a physical therapist, mm-hmm. as a medical provider. And we all see the same person mm-hmm. and the same symptoms, but may have a very different take on that. Mm-hmm. And somewhere in the middle of that mm-hmm. is the truth. Yep. Right. But what has happened before is that we were all operating on multiple truths and the person mm-hmm. The, the patient got lost in the yes. midst of that. Yeah, absolutely. And so for all of us to work together gives them an opportunity to be seen mm-hmm. and cared for as a whole person mm-hmm. and not just, um, you know, picked apart on mm-hmm. one little piece at a time that then actually those puzzle pieces don't actually add up together to make a whole. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I love, I love that explanation and I agree completely. And I think it helps it be more equitable. Right. Absolutely. Right. Versus these pieces. Absolutely. Right. So the yeah. more the lack, the lack of resources some of right. these areas mm-hmm. have, you yeah. know, that we've we guys have already mm-hmm. experienced right. through your training. Right. And that we have here in the rural area. Right. right. 
can then become more shared right. by this experience or care, right? Yeah, absolutely. How about you, Dr. Rodriguez? What do you think? Yeah, I, I, as we're talking about this, it just kind of uh, brings to mind an, an example of a of a patient experience that I had while while in training. Um, it, so it was a, a young man about about early twenties, um, and had recently. Um, been been moved back to to the islands to live with family there um and um he had recently had his first her first psychotic break um and uh on on the mainland was um wandering large uh like large lakes just large distances excuse mm-hmm. me um and and very active delusions and hallucinations and and um not taking care of himself just hygienically and mm-hmm. and so led to a number of of um, of physical issues as well and and mm-hmm. um and basically family on the mainland said that we can't take care of him anymore we need we need to send him back to, to family islands mm-hmm. and um and he shows up in in my office as as an intern and and it's like I'm I'm talking with him and and he and he's showing all the symptoms just very classic symptoms of schizophrenia and mm-hmm. it's like this this kid needs help he needs yeah. he needs a lot of help mm-hmm. um and so um as an intern I of course I was operating under my supervisor's license and and consulted immediately saying like I am I am pretty confident at this that that this the kid has has schizophrenia. I think we need to get get him connected with primary care provider, um, uh, like a psychiatrist immediately. Also, probably it probably wouldn't hurt to get him to see a dentist and just like mm-hmm. to see a physical therapist because he like he's he's limping and all this stuff mm-hmm. as well. Um, and um, and thankfully because of the because of this system that I was in, mm-hmm. all of that was available to him. Right. Wow! So yeah. I immediately I immediately was able to consult with our with um our psychiatric nurse practitioner who um, was willing to start him in on, it, on an antipsychotic until mm-hmm. he could see a psychiatrist and he got connected with primary care, got connected with all these other pieces. Right. Um, and within a couple months, he he comes back and it was almost like a completely different person. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously still had his diagnosis, mm-hmm. but um, but was getting the care that he yeah. needed and it was, it was accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was... He was um, he was not suffering anymore not or there wasn't any needless suffering happening anymore yeah Yeah. and and i think like this is how the system should work work. this is how it should work because all of us all of us like being able to collaborate and contribute the skills of the training that we have Mm -hmm. to be able to to allow our patients to flourish and be the best version of themselves Mm -hmm. um and and that that is really what what ipe what i what i hope for what 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 i think it it can be Mm -hmm. um as long as we we take down those barriers that yeah. keep people from being able to access it, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and so, so I, I when Amber, when you were talking about just kind of looking, everybody, we were in our silos, and 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 everybody was trying to look at it. It's like that old story mm-hmm. of the of of the blind man looking at the elephant, the elephant right? Right. Yeah. 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 Everybody has had a different piece mm-hmm. and was feeling out the piece mm-hmm. and um and trying to do their own thing, but right. then ultimately none of them knew it was an elephant, was, so that yeah. like it was missed, Absolutely. right? Um, and so we're 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 trying to go about it a different way. Yeah, you know, I think that's why I'm so excited about uh, what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I'm also excited about healthcare. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's because of this type of collaboration. Right. 
I mean, again, I think if we just saw it from our own self and our own discipline, there's a lot of things that are happening that may make us a little bit more discouraged, right? But I think when we put ourselves together and we start thinking about it in a collaborative standpoint, I think it's exciting, right? On how much we can learn from each other, right? And how we can then also help the patient together, which I know that I've already experienced with Danny, Mm -hmm. you know, being able to work together with him in primary Mm -hmm. care. And so Mm -hmm. I'm really excited about what that looks like. I just want to ask maybe just one more perspective, Mm -hmm. because we've talked about our identity. We've talked a little bit about our journey. We've Mm -hmm. talked about some solutions, Mm -hmm. diversity, but I wanted to ask you about your faith, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, there's, that's probably one of the reasons why you came back to be professors, even Mm -hmm. though you probably could go anywhere in the country and do that that you came back to George Fox um, for many reasons, but I think one of it is the faith um, um, component in the sense of it being central of who we are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so how how has your faith been, right, through these times, yeah. through the times of what we're living through, right, as we mm-hmm. are um, learning our identity and trying to figure that out? Yeah. Like, well, how's your faith been through that yeah. experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's a great question. I And I... And I'll be honest. There's times that it's been it's been challenging, mm-hmm. um, and and um, like you said, discouraging that that um, the the immensity, the immense need, um, and then that that was only exacerbated within the with the, within the pandemic mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. um, the socio political climate, just yeah. the the pain um, that so many were were feeling and and. Um, and then at times feeling like inadequate, like I'm like, Lord, I'm just one person. What what can I do, um, to when it feels like it's just a drop in the bucket, like um, like the old cliche says, and um, and I think that um, at the same time coming back to George Fox, um, really was a sense of calling for me to be able to, um, to step into to this role of mentorship and teach and teaching of students um one because i i especially for for the bipoc students i i can relate to what it's like being in a in a graduate setting um and trying to navigate that especially if um for myself as i mentioned i'm a first generation college student mm-hmm. um and wanting to create a sense of belonging for for those students yeah. um but then training them to to see our our patients, our clients as a whole person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and like I've been saying, meeting them where they're at because I really see that that um in like just my faith informs my practice in the sense that I I try to say like I think this is how I I'm the way I think I'm doing it is I hope the way Christ would would mm-hmm. would do it. Mm-hmm. Um in the sense that like Christ would break down barriers. Christ yeah. would would take those extra three four steps. Yeah. Christ would would want um, the marginalized to get the first fruits, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so so those have been um, the principles. Like I I think that like that my who I view Jesus as and who I view the Lord as is like that. That is how I want to model mm. what I do and what yeah. I teach my students. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's not always explicitly stated, like I'm not always always talking about faith integration. I do talk about it in the classroom, but even if it's not always explicitly stated, that 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 my heart for for patients comes through, and that mm-hmm. really it's my faith that informs mm-hmm. that. Even if um, 
it has been difficult at times. Yeah. yeah. Thank yeah. you so much for sharing that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think um, similar that for me, the in particular, I mean, across your life, right, your your faith should be challenged. It should. Mm-hmm. You should never go in any part of your identity without ever questioning it or ever being challenged mm-hmm. by aspects of it. Because if you're not, then you're not growing. Mm-hmm. And I think that the last couple of years have been very challenging. Yeah. And um, and also really this opportunity for a lot of growth. Um, and it has required some deconstruction of mm-hmm. my faith um, to kind of disentang- disentangle mm-hmm. things that I think were infused in my understanding of Christianity that was not actually theologically sound or mm-hmm. wasn't actually the theology of Christianity, but what the culture of what the what U.S. Christianity is, mm-hmm. be that politics or mm-hmm. other understanding um and ways in which we we ask Christians to behave in a certain way that mm-hmm. aren't aren't theologically grounded mm-hmm. um and so there's been a lot of that time of me kind of coming to that reckoning of saying like this is my faith mm-hmm. I this is this I believe this with everything and how do I tease apart some of these things and be okay with letting go of some of those things that are not core to what it means to be a Christian. And how do I now reconstruct, Mm. um, you know, my faith in a way that builds in this new understanding Mm. and, and a, a more, for me, grounded in theology, um, way of understanding my faith and me in context. Mm. Um, and part of that also was, again, acknowledging the role Christianity has had when it comes to racism mm-hmm. and colonization mm-hmm. and and how Christianity has and continues to be weaponized mm-hmm. um, against different cultures and belief systems and, and uh, underrepresented groups and disenfranchisement and mm-hmm. be it U.S. or globally, mm-hmm. that the, and it it's hard it's heartbreaking to see and hear that it continues to be the thing but that those things don't define my faith and that how do I disentangle that and rebuild my sense of um, what that is and how I live in that and I I too hope even when I'm not talking about it explicitly in my class or Mm. with my patients that the ways in which I live my life, mm-hmm. the ways yeah. in which I prioritize um, meeting people where they're at, going out of my way mm-hmm. and loving people, no matter who you mm-hmm. are, or what you've done or what you're doing or whatever, mm-hmm. that that is the operationalization of Christ's love for mm-hmm. us. And that the overarching um, you know, theme and message of scripture is love and redemption. Mm-hmm. And how do I enact radical um, love and redemption to everybody that I encounter. Mm -hmm. I love that. You know, as you guys have been speaking, that is exactly what I was thinking about was actually love. Mm-hmm. Right. And how what we're talking about is like this agape love. Right. Yeah. yeah. And beyond that is even like brotherly and sisterly love. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's all tied in. But at the second time, when I was 
while you were speaking, I just thought about this word, right, which is wisdom. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that we're becoming wise through this time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I think we, I think same with me, I think I was angry for a little while. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, for it would sure. be have yeah. to be yeah. human, Absolutely. you know, emotion, right? Yeah. yeah. Growing up and feeling angry and almost feeling distrustful. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think that when we read the scripture, we see the same thing, that disappointment, right? Yeah. yeah. But then if you hang in there and you continue to lean right in the arms of Christ, mm-hmm. that here comes love and then here comes wisdom. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's one of the things that we have a privilege of doing is actually sharing wisdom. Mm-hmm. Right. As professors, as people who are who are treating and um, being uh, clinicians to for. And I just I just think about that. And mm-hmm. How do you think that we can continue to harvest wisdom or or train mm-hmm. wisdom, right? As mm-hmm. we're moving forward about diversity instead of just educating people, right? Because yeah. there's a little difference about being wise, yeah. right? It, there's a difference about just being an educator, but right. being maybe someone who's more of a mentor, yeah. right? And I think yeah. we can do both. Yeah. I mean, that's how I see myself, right? Yeah. I, yeah. Now I've been uh, practicing for 20 years, but I've been in academics for almost nine and mm-hmm. I see myself an educator but I also see myself as a mentor yeah. yes and yeah. I think we got to redefine what professors do for work absolutely because we yeah. used to think that we would stand in the lever right we'll do some research but right. I noticed that more and more yeah. people are co- wanting to be in community with 100%. us I mean I'm sure yeah. you noticed that right yeah. and yeah. mentorship is yeah. like one of the number one things that I feel like yeah. students are looking for yes and I think when we signed up to be professors yeah that wasn't something that was on the job description mm-hmm. right like you're gonna be a mentor right mm-hmm. right to mm-hmm. BIPOC or to mm-hmm. you know wherever mm-hmm. God's called you to right 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 and I feel like that's the one thing that's re- being redefined in our work as professors yeah. yes. that that's a different and it's almost like service and teaching and scholarship all all in one all yeah. in yeah. end phase right yes. if you think mm-hmm. about it and I think mm-hmm. it's like another category we really need to think about because it's going to take up a lot of our time absolutely mm-hmm. but that's what the students are like going away with absolutely right they're like I'm in relationship with you know with yes Dr. Amber yeah. and Dr. Danny or right. Dr. Kang right, right. that right. we're in relationship so Maybe we can finish off with that, like mentorship and yeah. how to make a wise council or make a yeah. wise community, right? So, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I think uh, you know our department as a whole and the the clinical psychology department, we we emphasize mentorship a lot. Mm. We have ways that we build things in, mm. and also every person does mentorship differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that you're absolutely right that for me, I have seen you know, somebody can do academic work and not have done, built the wisdom, Mm -hmm. not have done the character formation Mm -hmm. and not have done the work to, to, to step out in a way that is grounded Mm -hmm. and crunchy Mm -hmm. and has texture, um, that is a fully realized self. Um, and it's really easy as students having, not that long ago, but a student, <laughs> you know, be as students to come in and think like, I just have to like get A's. Yep. I just need to do the work. But when you do that, it's so disconnected from the, the experience of being a person, yeah. um, the experience of being a professional. And I talk to my students all the time. Like it's about the process, not the product. Mm-hmm. And I care about you mm-hmm 
and all of who the who of who you are more than you as a student. Mm. And if there's something going on with the who of who you are, we need to sit with that. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's going to affect you as a student, but I don't I care about it. But right. that's not what we're talking about here. There's a piece of what it means to be a mentor is to help our students not only contextualize their patients, but contextualize themselves Mm -hmm. to take the time to think of themselves holistically Mm -hmm. and not to center only one part of their identity, Mm -hmm. their identity as a student, their Mm -hmm. academics, to to the detriment of every other part of themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we see that happen so often and then they you know, finish and they have not learned how to have a balanced life and they burn out immediately Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. their whole life has been their profession and their academics and doing and performing and this and this and this Mm -hmm. and not being a whole person and not doing the formative pieces around how do I integrate this part of my life with all of the other parts of who I am. Mm -hmm. I'm a mother, I'm a sister, I'm a, you know, I'm an artist, Mm -hmm. I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. You have to find ways Mm -hmm. to still invest in all of the parts of who Mm. you are while also doing this academic Mm. work. And if you can't do that, you're not going to be able to go there with your patients Mm -hmm. and you are doing yourself a disservice because you're, you're setting yourself up to burn out so quickly. So how, what does it mean for us to like step into that? And Mm. for me, particularly as a, as a diverse person, as a BIPOC um, woman, I also used self-disclosure. Mm-hmm. I share my own journey. Mm-hmm. I share my struggles. I'm somebody who has ADHD, right? Mm-hmm. And so there are lots of things that I have to do differently that don't fit in the typical system mm-hmm. in order to still make it. Mm-hmm. And how do I share those things and come alongside my students and not just say like, well, you're not timely, so mm-hmm. you're never going to make it. Well, no, i it's a struggle for me too. Mm-hmm. How here are the things that I have to do? Here's how I've had to rethink it. Here's what I do and allow myself to come to the table mm-hmm. just as much as they are. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. I um as you're mentioning that, Amber, I, I think of um I too am really relational in in how I go about mentorship. I just um as like I mentioned, I just value being being authentic in, mm-hmm. in myself. Like yeah. uh, that's how I that's how I go about my mentorship, mm-hmm. like relationships too with students. Is that this is who I am? Mm-hmm. Um, you know who like who you're talking to in in like in my office. I'm the same person that you would talk to if we if we like met up for lunch somewhere. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe maybe if we met up for lunch somewhere, I'd be wearing a t shirt and, and like tennis shoes, but mm-hmm. um, maybe a little bit more a little bit more chill. But um, but um, I'm the same person, right? Mm-hmm. And and like this is this is who I am. This is how I've learned to to navigate. Um, or to to navigate the system, how to how to apply these concepts and how to how to conceptualize everything in 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 a way that seems consistent with how I see the world. And I think about like uh, how I started out my um, my class that I taught last last fall about cognitive behavioral therapy. A lot of students come into to come into 
um, the class with kind of preconceived notions of CBT in the sense that like um, for those of those of you unaware listeners unaware with CBT kind of has this reputation of being kind of cold or distanced mm-hmm. or um, just not very relational mm-hmm. and and how I how I start off as like my goal is not to convert you all to CBT therapists mm-hmm. um, my goal though is to hopefully show you a different side of CBT um, and show you kind of what the possibilities could be I'm like if you were to shadow me and watch mm-hmm. me do CBT with a client you might come away thinking like that's not CBT that's mm-hmm. not what that looks mm-hmm. like because my style is just more interpersonal and relational just because of that's who I am mm-hmm. um, and I think that that's what I bring to to my mentorship as well. Um, and and what I want for my students is to I want them to learn from me and, and learn all these things as well. But I don't want them to be me. Right. Um, I right. want them to I want them to to like be them. Be the be the full. Like I said, the, we want I want our patients to be the fullest versions of themselves. I want my students to be the fullest versions of right. them. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Because what they have to offer is exceptional. Yeah. Um, so. I don't want to make carbon copies of myself or, or carbon copies of of doc nelson although that would be awesome I mean, but yeah <laughs> um but yeah and um and then i just wanted to touch on on what you mentioned when you first asked like how do we foster wisdom yeah. like the first thing that comes to mind is like it's like sometimes it's like shut up and listen yeah. right um hmm. especially as professors like um well hmm. i mean as, as early career professorship it's mm-hmm. like the, the struggle with imposter syndrome is very real, but um, but but yes. we come into it. It's academia. It, it's really easy to kind of like I have um, or I imagine it's really easy to come into like I have my knowledge base. I have my yeah. training. Yeah. I completed uh, my, my doctoral education. You know, I know something about something. Um, but but it's it's I think for the, um, that goes along with we can have all the academic credentials and still be fools, so yes, to speak, right? Um, if we're not listening, if we're not yep. like if I'm not listening to to you, Dan, mm-hmm. and what you bring, like what you can right. bring as a physical therapist, as right. a person, right. um, and and like I'm I'm being foolish because right. I I'm I'm shutting myself off to potentially a wealth of information, right. a wealth of knowledge yeah. that I can learn from you. Yeah. Um, and just like I just and I try to I've been trying to do this more and more with my students is. What can I learn from my students too, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. What what can I learn from their life experiences? Mm-hmm. Because um, and even if they don't, they're not as far along their training as I am. Mm-hmm. There's always something that I can always. be gaining from Absolutely. them. Um, like I could gain something from my students. I gain something from my from my peers and my and senior faculty. Um, but I think that 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 also gets to to some of the some of the core of what we're seeing nationally is that yeah. people aren't listening to each right. other anymore mm-hmm. right right um mm-hmm. we or if we're if we're hearing but we're not listening, we're not listening. i think there's a very distinct mm-hmm. difference um yeah and and we're not trying to whenever we feel the the the, the slightest um threat mm-hmm. we retreat and we don't kind of sit in there which yeah. i think is what um which i think is the important bit if we're gonna right. if we're gonna build wisdom yep. we're gonna have to listen even when things are, are uncomfortable or we disagree with them yeah and it, it requires humility yeah. right and yeah. i think that that you know humility and responsivity right it's like we have to be able to humble ourselves both as educators as mentors mm. stepping into the space with our our trainees but also training them, helping them to find that sense of humility, regardless of your training. You could be the expert, which Mm -hmm. I actually don't even like to use the word expert because it 
puts you in a position to think, well, I can't learn from anything mm. from anybody else. I'm the one that knows everything, mm -hmm. right? But like, even if you are the forerunner of whatever, you always have so much room to learn from everybody that you encounter. So how do we use humility and responding um, to those around us as that core to like mm -hmm. building that wisdom? Yeah, you know, I see that with the two of you, honestly, and can't thank you enough. I see so much humility. Mm -hmm. And I hope that you also know that through that humility, I see confidence. Mm -hmm. But it's not confidence in just oneself mm -hmm. or expertise, but it's just confidence in like, it's not the process, but there's confidence in your faith, in your experience mm -hmm. of who you are mm -hmm. and in like what you're becoming, mm -hmm. right? And I think that confidence is so needed. It's not cockiness, mm -hmm. it's not pride. Right. It's something completely different. Yeah. And I want you to know, like I, I share this a lot with my students, like your training matters. Right. How you decide where you're going to go and right. get trained. Yes. Yeah. Right. This experience, these things that stretch us. Right. Mm -hmm. Deciding to say it's it's going to be OK to be uncomfortable. Yes. Right. Going to this yeah. island. Yeah. Going to for you yeah. going to the East Coast. Right. right. To these two. Right. You know, schools that are doing things completely different than right. what you've received here. Yeah. Me moving from Southern California to come up here to stretch me, you know, right. to stretch you. Yeah. Comes this opportunity for wisdom and love and humility, but also comes this confidence in the Lord. Yeah. And in confidence in the training yeah. that we received. And I think the students sense that. Mm. Right. They sense that because it's our life story. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's right. our life journey. And so yeah. I just want you to sh thank you so much for sharing that time with me and yeah, being able to um, discover maybe what it looks like a little bit more having a discussion around diversity. Right. Mm -hmm. And I would say reach out to us. Right. If this hits a chord with Absolutely. you, right, yes. reach out please, to us. Please, We're please, here. Please. Yeah. And I think it's part of who we are as Absolutely. wanting to make sure that we are reaching and that we're available. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Any yeah. final thoughts? Thank you, Dan. I just really appreciate you for, for inviting um, me to be part of this conversation with Emperor as well. Mm -hmm. um, just two people that I just have the highest respect for and, mm -hmm. and love hanging out with. So um, I, I just... I had, a, I had a blast. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, of course. Yeah, same. Yeah, thank you. This is a great space to just have this conversation. And there's so much yep. yes. to the conversation so uh, in healthcare and DEI. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> every every part of this. And so, um, yeah, just thank you for us to have this opportunity to, to talk. And yeah, absolutely. If anybody wants to continue the conversation, yep. has questions, yep. come yep. find us. Yep. We're in the Robert Center. We're in the Robert Center. Exactly. Come and find us. <laughs> Knock on our door. Well, I'm going to come find you <laughs> sounds good yeah thanks thanks for everybody yeah. and thank you too again and i really believe that the future of um ipe you know um psychology mm -hmm. is so bright having two of you here and also um just sharing your 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 vision of what it looks like to be diverse to be inclusive and also to have a faith mm -hmm. through that and and being mentors and professors for um our community. So thank you very much. Awesome. Thank, thank you. you. This has been a production of George Fox Digital. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to George Fox Talks on Apple, Spotify, or whatever you're streaming on. Check us out on the web at georgefox.edu talks, where we have videos, publications, and more. And we're also on YouTube at youtube.com slash George Fox Talks. <laughs>